main part of our class today is in the chapter in contact with others. You know, if we would reduce life to its simple commonest denominator, or simplest common denominator would be better, it boils down to just very few things. Our relation to God and our relation to each other, and that's all there is. Because that's all the law of God's about, isn't it? And all the plan of salvation is to bring us back in harmony with God's law. If we had the right relation to God and the right relationship to each other, there wouldn't be anything else to do. It would be all over. It's just that simple. Is that right? We make it a lot more complicated than that. And you know, really, when we come right down to it, God does not judge any of us. Did you know that? Maybe I'm not quite getting through. I don't know. But the simple facts of the matter are that when life is all done, the Lord is going to say, All right, you've settled it. I'm going to deal with you exactly as you have dealt with other people. That's it. Or is that too simple? See, there are laws. Jesus laid down the Sermon on the Mount with what measure ye meet, what? It shall be measured to you again. With what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. I wasn't really going to get into this, but I think maybe you'd all be interested in a statement from Mount of Blessing. There's a chapter in there, not judging, but doing. And it's the next chapter after the Lord's Prayer. Page according to index 194. It's a comment on this verse in Romans. Thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art the judgest. For when thou, wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. Thus those who condemn or criticize others proclaim themselves guilty, for they do the same things. In condemning others, they are passing judgment sentence upon themselves, and God declares that this sentence is just. He accepts their own verdict against themselves. That brings us right down where we live, doesn't it? God deals with us exactly as we deal with other people. Now a blessing, 194.
And the thing that we all need to, to realize thoroughly, each one of us, and we've discussed this several times before, and that is, it's not what we say, but what we do that is of vital importance. A lot of people think they can talk themselves out of anything. We don't talk ourselves out of anything. This is page 128. Oh, I, I didn't give you the right page on that. That was a cross-reference. I'm sorry. That page in Mount of Blessing was 124. I have it cross-referenced to 194. When a crisis comes in the life of any soul and you attempt to give counsel or admonition, your words will have only the weight of influence for good that your own example and, and spirit have gained for you. You must be good before you can do good. You must what? You cannot exert an influence that will transform others until your own heart has been humbled and refined and made tender by the grace of Christ. When this change has been wrought in you, it will be as natural for you to live to bless others as it is for the rosebud, rosebush to yield its fragrant bloom or the vine its purple clusters. You can take a rose, take it and put it down on the sidewalk and you can take your heel and you can grind it in. You know what it'll do? It'll give off perfume. But you step on a snake and see what happens. As you step on his head. Yeah. See, this is a law of life, folks, and we all need to learn, I want to learn it, that I am going to receive what I give. This was 128. 127, 128. There are many interesting statements in this chapter, not, not judging but doing. This is page 135. The golden rule teaches by implication the same truth which is taught elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount that with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. That which we do to others, whether it be good or evil, will surely react upon ourselves in blessing or cursing. Whatever we give, we shall receive again. The earthly blessings which we impart to others may be and often are repaid in kind. What we give does in time of need often come back to us in fourfold measure in the coin of the realm. But besides this, all gifts are repaid even in this life in the fuller inflowing of His love, which is the sum of all heaven's glory and its treasure. And evil imparted also returns again. Everyone who has been free to condemn or discourage will in his own experience be brought over the ground which already has caused others to pass. He will feel what they have suffered because of his want of sympathy and tenderness. It is the love of God toward us that has decreed this.
You see, if something's happening to us real hard, if we look back in our experience, we'll find we gave it to somebody else just like that sometime. Now, you maybe think I'm talking in riddles, but just hold tight and watch and see what happens to all of you, to me, too. That's the way it works. God does this in order that what? We may have an understanding that it's all summed up. Jesus summed it all up in this. All things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, what? Do even so to them. This is the law and the prophets. Yeah. Good. We're all looking for the loud cry, the latter rain. Do you know why the latter rain hasn't fallen? Why the loud cry hasn't been given? Search heaven and earth. This is page 137. I didn't intend to get into Mount of Blessing. We're, we're supposed to be in Ministry of Healing. But the same principles are here that are, in my, that are in Ministry of Healing. It's exactly the same. Wherever you find them, they all fit in. Search heaven and earth, and there is no truth revealed more powerful than that which is made manifest in works of mercy to those who need our sympathy and aid. This is the truth as it is in Jesus. When those who profess the name of Christ shall practice the principles of the golden rule, the same power will attend the gospel as in apostolic times. What will happen? When we practice the golden rule, apostolic power will, re will return. Now, we can't do this, can we? We can't in our own strength. But this is what the gospel is for. This is what, this is what the life of Christ in us, this is what education is all about. It's to restore in man what? The image of... Jesus came to demonstrate and to, and to live out what? The life of God as a human being. He came to show what God would do as a human being. And so when the life of Christ is, re, is re, uh, renewed or, or is lived out in us, then, once again, the character of God will be manifested. Now that's what... Ministry of Healing is talking about. And uh, the, uh, it starts out, Every association of life calls for the exercise of self-control, forbearance, and sympathy. We differ so widely in disposition, habits, education, that our ways at, of looking at things vary. We judge it differently. Our understanding of truth, our ideas in regard to the conduct of life are not in all respects the same. There are no two whose experiences of life like in every particular. The trials of one are not the trials of, the other, of another. The duties that one finds light are to another most difficult and perplexing. So frail, so ignorant, so liable to conception is human nature that each should be careful in the estimate he places upon another. We know little. The acts... the bearing of our acts upon the experiences of others. What we do or say may seem to us of little moment. When could our eyes be opened, we should see that upon it depended the most important results for good or for evil. 
You know, I've had experiences that, uh, that through the years have come back to me. I, I've had people come to me and say, well, did you remember saying so-and-so? And I said, well, no, I don't have any recollection at all. And I'd said something to people that had just disturbed them and hurt them for years, and I never even knew I said it. And if people would not were honest with us, we'd all realize that we all do the same thing. And one of the things that really probably causes much trouble as anything else is that when people say things to other people in what they call a joking manner, it has a lot more truth than poetry, as the saying goes in it. People don't, this is, people don't really know whether you mean it or not. Are you understand what I'm talking about? And folks, after all, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mind. Nobody's going to get hurt in heaven. And this is the place where we're going to get ready for it. And so the sum total of life, folks, is our relation to God and our relation to other people. Jesus summed it up. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy heart and all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Beg pardon? Well, isn't that the last verse of the 65th chapter of Isaiah? You know, there's a lot more in just simple statements than we really put in it. Did you know that? That we really grasp that really what, what it really says. And then uh, this chapter of contact with others is, is really, I hope you read it and, and really uh, try to absorb what it's in there because remember that Christianity is the transfer of inspiration to us, which is done through the Holy Spirit. On 485, it says, We cannot afford to let our spirit chafe over any real or supposed wrong done to ourself. No form self is the enemy, enemy we, we most need to fear. No form of vice has a more baleful effect upon the character than has human passion not under the control of the Holy Spirit. No other victory we can gain will be so precious as the victory gained over self. We should not allow, allow our feelings to be easily wounded. Well, that's page uh, 485. You see, Christians don't get hurt because they're dead. I've had to lay out a lot of dead people. I never hurt a one of them. Even the undertakers don't hurt them. 
And they're pretty rough with them sometimes. You know why? Well, they're dead. We are to live not to guard our feelings or our reputation, but to save souls. As we become interested in the salvation of souls, we cease to mind the little differences that so often rise in our association with one another. What, uh, whatever others may think of us or do to us, it need not disturb our oneness with Christ, the fellowship of the Spirit. What glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults you take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer, suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Then, then it really doesn't do us any good. We're not, it doesn't help our character any. If people treat us bad, if we treat them bad. I mean, if we, uh, I mean, if we treat them, uh, if we, tr if we, uh, have done wrong, and people treat us wrong, there's no reward in that. We deserve it. It's when we haven't done anything, and then people treat us bad. That's when we have... That's when we're gaining ground. Do not retaliate. So far as you can do so, remove all cause for misapprehension. Avoid the, uh, the appearance of evil. Do all that lies in your power within the, within the sacrifice of, without the sacrifice of principle to conciliate others. If impatient words are spoken to you, never reply in the same spirit. Remember that a soft answer turneth away wrath, and there is a wonderful power in silence. There's even a verse in the Bible that says, study to be quiet. Did you ever read that? <laughs> well, my, though, I have to look up these texts for you. <laughs> I guess I'll have to. I'll have to look it up for myself. It's in Paul's writings, I'm quite sure. And if you know where it is, find it real quick. Maybe you want that reference. That's first Thessalonians 4. All right. Good. Fine, thank you. Supposing you read it to us, Sally, see if I, I may have quoted it wrong. That was just part of it. Study to be what? Study to be quiet and tend to your own business. And do what? And do your own work. Words spoken in reply to one who is angry some, sometimes only serve 
to exasperate. But anger met with silence in a tender, forbearing spirit quickly dies away. Under a storm of stinging, fault-finding words, keep the mind stayed upon the Word of God. Let mind and heart be stored with God's promises. You remember the little statement I gave you from Volume 3 of the Testimonies, what we were to do to keep ourselves from getting in trouble during the day? Remember what it was? What are we to do in the morning? Ask our guardian, ask the Lord to have our guardian angels keep us through the day and when something comes that we can't handle. That's what it says in, in uh, my words. That our guardian angel will be by our side prompting us to a better course and keeping us from having the wrong influence upon others. But it says, if we do not ask, we are sure to go astray. I wonder how many of us really do ask the Lord for what help we need during the day. There, sometimes it comes so fast you don't have time to, to say anything or do anything. Have you had these experiences? It, just, it lands on you. You don't know where it came from. But it's already taken care of. And everything in order to take care of it, it has already been given us. If you are ill-treated or wrongly accused, instead of returning an angry answer, repeat to yourself the precious promises. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. And He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. I heard a little story one time. I've never forgotten it. You may have heard the story. Uh, it's supposed to be true. There was a young man in the army, and he was a Christian, and he lived his, his, he lived his Christianity, and he made it a habit every night when he went to bed to get down by his cot and pray. And this really annoyed some of the other soldiers, and they really gave him a hard time. And one night particularly... Uh, He was praying and something happened, but I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you what happened and then I'll go back and tell you the story because that way it, it'll give you the point a little better. An army sergeant one time came up to a minister and he says, uh, I'd like to have you teach me how to be a Christian. And so uh, the man says, well, uh, he said, uh, what's happened? But what happened? He said, well, something happened several years ago. And he said, I've never forgotten it. And he says, I want to be a Christian. He said, uh, I came in one night off of March. And he said, we'd been going through a marsh where it was muddy and it was just terrible circumstances. And I came into the barracks and he said, a young man was kneeling by his bed praying. And he said, I was so angry, I took off my muddy boots and I threw them at his head just as hard as I could throw them. And he says, the next morning I found the polish to the head of my bed. He says, I've seen a pair of boots ever since. I want to be a Christian. 
You see, we don't understand what little things do to people sometimes. Either way, you understand? And remember, the sum total of life is what? How we relate to God and how we relate to each other. And how we relate to each other is the total reflection of how we relate to God. And so, we can tell the Lord how much we love Him. But the Apostle John puts it in plain English. If we say we love God and we don't love our brother, we're what? Lying. Said we're a liar. See, folks, Christianity is supposed to act. It's not wishful thinking. It's doing things. Character is built on action. So long as we are in the world, we shall meet with adverse influences. There will be provocations to test the temper. And it is by meeting these in a right spirit that the Christian graces are developed. We discussed one time here that this is the only environment, this is the only circumstance in the universe where people, created beings, have the right environment to develop a character that will make them share the throne of God. No other, no other environment like this world anywhere. God has put us in the perfect environment. There's always somebody that needs help. Somebody to encourage. You don't even have to go off this campus to help people. Did you know that? Yes, did you want? Yes, there's a text here that I think, to me, relates to what we've been talking about. It's in James, the uh, first chapter, um, starting with verse 19. It says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Okay, thank you. Yeah. The hearing and not doing, or the receiving and not sharing. Uh, I was just, the Lord just was impressed me the other day that that's like emphysema. And that when the, the little tiny air sacs in the lungs get distended and they hold air and you can't get it out. So the lungs, that portion of the lungs is therefore shot. Sure. People, you just see them gasping for breath as they walk in the hall and their lungs are full of air. Their lungs are full of air. That's right. And they're dying from oxygen. And that, and we can do the same thing when we get so full of air. Yet if we don't, 
That's the difference between freshwater, freshwater ocean, freshwater lakes, and and uh, the lakes that are that are salty and and nothing can live in. One has an outlet, and the other other doesn't. I had the privilege of being in the Dead Sea. You know, nothing can sink in the Dead Sea. It's so salty. Of course, we have Great Salt Lake in in our own country. This is all. These are all principles. You see, the the whole law of God can be summed up in three words. The whole scheme of life, three words. What? Well, yes, love thy neighbor, but it's given in desire of age. It's it is. Take to give. This is the law of life for the universe. Take to give. And the, Satan's law is just the same, only one word different. Take to keep. And what you say, Sal, is absolutely right. Asthma is the same thing. It isn't the problem of getting air in. You can't get it out. And people die because they can't get the air out of their lungs. If Christ dwells in us, we shall be kind, patient, forbearing, cheerful amid frets and irritations. Day by day and year by year we shall conquer self and grow into a noble heroism. Into what? Noble heroism. This is our allotted task, but it cannot be accomplished without help from Jesus, resolute decision, unwavering purpose, continual watchfulness, and unceasing prayer. Each one has a personal battle to fight. Not even God can make our characters noble, our lives useful, unless we become co-workers with Him. Those who decline the struggle lose the strength and joy of victory. You know, I don't know if any of you have ever been around a place where there's quicksand. Have any of you ever seen quicksand? We had some quicksand down in a place not far from where I grew up as a boy. And we had a one of our animals, the steer, was missing and I was out getting the cattle and I went out and finally I found this steer. But there wasn't anything left but his head. And he was really making some terrible noises. Pitiful. I didn't know what to do. I was a little boy and I ran to get some help. But when I came back there was nothing there. Out in uh, many places, I remember uh, out in uh, Yellowstone Park. There are these places where they have these boiling uh, mud pots. And they, you walk right over them and there was a, there was a, a walk there. And when I went over there, I just thought, my, wouldn't it be some terrible if somebody fall in that? 
And how much worse it would be if somebody would push somebody in it. Really, I'm not joking. And uh, we were there over a weekend. Uh, and then after we left, the next day I saw a note in the paper where somebody was visiting the Yellowstone and one of the little toddlers walked right off the bridge, right off the bridgeway into one of these bubbling, boiling pots and just went right on out of sight. And I'm telling all these to say this, if, if we went along and we saw somebody that was in the quicksand and they just just barely had their head sticking out, what do you think if somebody would just reach out and take their foot or their hand and shove them under? But as you know, we do this to people spiritually sometimes. They're just about down. They're going down for the third time and we give them a shove. Really? You think I'm joking? See, we don't know what kind of condition people are in. We don't know what struggles they're having. And even to ignore it would be terrible, wouldn't it? But to help it along, that would be that much worse. And uh, we need to become conscious. I need to. You need to. All of us. That we're in this world with people with feelings and to relate ourselves to the situations in a way that there will be hope spring up in people's hearts. We need not keep our own record of trials and difficulties, griefs and sorrows. All these things are written in the books of heaven and God will take care of them. While we are counting up the disagreeable things, many things that are pleasant to reflect upon are passing from memory such as the merciful kindness of God surrounding us every moment and the love over which angels marvel that God gave His Son to die for us. If as workers for Christ you feel that you have had greater cares and trials than have fallen the lot of others, remember that there is a peace unknown to those who shun these burdens. <laughs> 487. How would it be if we, if we memorized some of these things and remembered them when we really need them? Remember, we become partakers of the divine nature through the what? Through the great promises. If we're having a specially hard time and we're having real difficulties and we are having difficulties more than anyone else, then God has a real special place for us to work and He has a real special place for us in heaven. Because our enjoyment of heaven is going to be in proportion to what it costs us to get there. It's going to take everything. Huh? It's going to take everything. I know, but it, it takes a little more of some people does others. You understand what I mean? It's going to take everything we have. But some people have, their everything takes more. You know, we don't all have the same threshold of pain. Did you know that? 
We don't all have the same threshold of pains. Sally's a nurse. She'll tell you about that. Some people can stand a lot of pain and other people can't stand much pain. We don't all have the same spiritual threshold of pain. Some can take more than others. You remember what we read in, in the book Education, page 151, wasn't it? We read it a couple times, but uh, maybe we all forget. I do. 151, Education. All who in this world render true service to God or man receive a preparatory training in the school of sorrow. You see what? The weightier the trust and the higher the service, the closer is the test and the more severe the discipline. I think I told some of you, I just read this book by Carlisle B. Haynes, and I would recommend it to anyone. God sent a man. It's a story of Joseph. You see, if God has a special work for us, then He has a special training for that work. And if I have something that is a little worse, a little harder to take than someone else, praise the Lord, He's got a, a special work for me to do. There's some people that I can help that nobody else can help. Aren't you glad, glad God has it in His hands and He measures it out? Just what He knows is for our good? There is comfort in the joy and joy in the service of Christ. Let the world see that life with Him is no failure. You know, I've had people come to me. I've had some real hard experiences, and I've had people come to me and say, Well, Brother Martin, if you'd have known all this, uh, you wouldn't have got into that, would you? And I said, Well, probably not. I probably wouldn't have had sense enough. But as long as I am, God is leading in my life, and there's something real special about it for me that I have to learn. And I just have to accept it. That's all. I believe God guides my life. I believe, he, I believe He has it all in His hands. And I don't believe He's going to let a thing happen to me that isn't for my eternal good. And I'm just going to leave it with Him. If you do not feel lighthearted and joyous, if you do not feel lighthearted and joyous, do not talk of your feelings. Cast no shadow upon the lives of others. A cold, sunless religion never draws souls to Christ. It drives them away from Him into the nets that Satan has spread for the feet of the straying. Instead of thinking of your discouragement, think of the power you can claim in Christ's name. Let your imagination take hold of the things unseen. In our dealing with people and trying to bring them to a knowledge of God's truth for this time, people are going to pay much more attention to how we act than what we say. I've seen people actually talk about their religion as if they were taking a dose of castor oil. 
You think I'm exaggerating? Let your thoughts be directed to the evidences of the great love of God for you. Faith can endure trial, resist temptation, bear up under disappointment. Jesus lives as our advocate. All is ours that his mediation secures. Then talk of, it, of the promises. Talk of Jesus' willingness to bless. Do not for, he does not forget us for one brief moment. You know how I know he doesn't forget me? Huh? My heart's still beating. I'm still alive. If he would forget me for more than probably seven or eight minutes, I'd become a vegetable even if I were still living. My brain would quit functioning. The fact that we're normal, intelligent beings makes us know that God hasn't left us. Page 490. Life is chiefly made up not of great sacrifices and wonderful achievements, but of little things. It is oftenest through the little things that seem so unworthy of notice that great good or evil is brought into our lives. It is through our failure to endure the tests that come to us in little things that the habits are molded, the character misshaped. And when the greater tests come, they find us unready. Only by acting upon principle in the daily life, in the tests of daily life, can we acquire power to stand firm and faithful in the most dangerous and difficult positions. We are never alone. We're what? If we could remember that at all times, it would make a difference in our lives. Did you know that? We're what? We're never alone. You see, this little world of ours is the stage of the universe. The whole intelligence of this universe have their television sets on this world. Of course, they don't need television sets. I don't know how they can see what's going on here, but they can. And remember that this little world of ours is the lesson book of the universe. And these people are on a daily lesson study. Yeah. Now, I can't hear you for the truck.
We are never alone. Whether we choose Him or not, we have a companion. Remember that wherever you are, whatever you do, God is there. What's that? Four ninety. Yes. He's there whether we want Him or not. He has made it His business to bring light and gladness enough to every soul to save that soul. You see, I don't want to get into something where I'm in a subject that's, uh, that would be easily misunderstood. But you know, there are only certain times in the world where God sent people out to give the God, give the, the knowledge of a certain message to the world. John one says that Jesus lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Every person in this world is going to have enough knowledge for salvation. But there are times when they need more than just the minimum. One was at the flood. Because they had to come in the ark to be saved. Once was after Christ came to this earth because the knowledge of Christ had to go to every nation in the earth. And today, the knowledge of the second coming of Christ must go to every individual. He must have an intelligent knowledge of God and of the plan of salvation and of Jesus' coming and the things that relate to it, His mediation. They must have an intelligent knowledge of that before... Christ can finish His work in the sanctuary. Because every individual in our generation is going to have to make a final decision, irrevocable decision. And the reason Jesus finishes His work in the sanctuary is not because He just says, there's a certain date, I'm going to close it. It says in Great Controversy, it also says in early writings that an angel comes back and says to Jesus, Our work is done. Every soul has made a final decision. And then Jesus throws down the censer and says, It's done. The decisions are made on earth, not heaven. And of course, we have a responsibility to these people who don't know what we know, that they have the knowledge that we have. Not just for their salvation, but for what? That they may have an equal opportunity with us. You know, Abraham Lincoln was quite an interesting man. You've read lots of stories about him. When he was president, he was going along with some of his aides, and he got off his horse and got down, and there was a beetle on his back, and he turned him over. And somebody said, well, Mr. President, you're a busy man. You don't have a time to turn a beetle over. 
He said, well, I feel that that beetle should have an equal opportunity with every other beetle of his class. And God wants every human being to have an equal opportunity with every other human being. You understand what I'm talking about? That's why we're not here for self-service. We're not here to enjoy ourselves. We're not here to have a good time. We're not here to please ourselves. We're here to prepare to live. Because this isn't life. This is only an existence. Because life is bound up with God. And we're to help other people that have their lives bound up with God also. Study carefully the divine human character and inquire const- and constantly inquire what would Jesus do were he in my place? This should be the measurement of our duty. This what? Do not place yourselves needlessly in the society of those who by their arts would weaken your purpose to do right or bring a stain upon your conscience. Do not among strangers in the street, on the cars, in the home, that which, ha- which would have the least appearance of evil. Do something every day to improve, beautify, and ennoble that life that Christ has purchased with His own blood. Always act from principle, never from impulse. Temper the natural impetuosity of your nature with meekness and gentleness. Indulge in no lightness or trifling. Let no low witticism escape your lips. Even the thoughts are not to be allowed to run riot. They must be restrained, brought into captivity till the obedience of Christ. Let them be placed upon holy things. Then through the grace of Christ they will be pure and true. We need the cost, a constant sense of the ennobling power of pure thoughts. We need to bombard our minds with spiritual truths. says, a merry heart doeth good like what? Medicine. Medicine. The only security for any soul is right thinking. Well, 492. Just a few. We're just touching these things. Cultivate the habit of speaking well of others. Dwell upon the good qualities of those with whom you associate and see as little as possible of their errors and failings. When tempted to complain of what someone has said or done, pray for his life or character. Cultivate thankfulness. Praise God for His wonderful love 
in giving Christ to die for us. It never pays to think of our grievances. God calls upon us to think of His mercy and His matchless love that we may be inspired with praise. Earnest workers have no time for dwelling upon the faults of others. We cannot afford to live on the husks of others' faults or feelings. Whenever I read this statement, I think about the poor prodigal. He was living out there with what? With the swine, and what was he living on? On husks. It isn't very satisfying. Evil speaking is a twofold curse falling more heavily upon the speaker than upon the hearer. Did you ever hear of a boomerang? You know what a boomerang is? What is it? You throw something out, it comes back to you. Well, just remember, if you say somebody something to somebody that hurts them, it has hurt you worse. Because God said it. says it's a twofold curse, and it's what? What does it say it does? Falling more heavily upon the speaker than upon the hearer. Did you ever see Irea say, I really gave him a piece of my mind? Mm-hmm. Well, you did, but you got more back. You still have more pieces than you started with. Mm-hmm. Where's that in? <laughs> well, I just said that. <laughs> I wasn't reading. I would, that, that's what this says, doesn't it? When that it, we get more, it falls more heavy, heavily upon us. He who scatters the seeds of dissension and strife reaps in his own soul the deadly fruits. The very act of looking for evil in others develops in those develops evil in those who look. By dwelling upon the faults of others, we are changed into the same image. But by beholding Jesus, talking of His love and perfection of character, we become changed into His image. By contemplating the lofty ideal He has placed before us, we shall be uplifted into the pure and holy atmosphere, even the presence of God. When we abide here, there goes forth from us a light that irradiates all who are connected with us. Well... There's another chapter, Development and Service and a Higher Experience. We aren't going to get into it. I just want to, we have just a few minutes left. I want to review with you a little bit the, the principles we've been dealing with. This whole series of studies was based on the statement in education that in order to understand what is comprehended in the work of education, we need to consider what? The nature of man and the purpose of God in creating him. And we found that the nature of man was what? Man was created lower than the angels. He was created without, without the basic... Uh, he was not as great as the angels in character or anything else but he was created with the possibility of what? infinite development and that infinite development is 
is made possible through what? Through the indwelling of Christ, and we receive Christ through what? Through the Word. Through the Word. He was the living Word. And it's by the promises, the, the inspired writings, the statements of God, that we, it goes through our mind and becomes a part of us. Now, this is a miracle. It's a miraculous process. I can't explain it, neither can I explain how potatoes become toenails. You know, I don't know, or hair, or nerve, tissue, or anything else. I don't understand it, do you? And I'm not going to quit eating because I don't understand it. You see, I've told people, I'm real glad that you don't have to understand the chemistry of food before you start eating. And don't be concerned if you don't understand all about the plan of salvation while you're partaking of spiritual food and growing because you don't have to. It's a spiritual, mysterious process. And when we submit our will to God or we let Him have it, or we let Him take it, however you want to say it, or we're willing to be made willing. And then we do the things that the science of Christianity requires. We're going to grow up as Christians automatically. Now there's a... Oh, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to make it so simple that there's nothing to go with it, but this is all it is. I mean, it, it is taking these things and we absorb them and, of course, there's a struggle at all times because we have a perverse will that's involved. you understand? Do you remember the little statement that I read from Mount of Blessing? God has made provision that we may become like Him. He's made what? He's made provision for it. He has made error. He has made every provision. Every circumstance. Everything that surrounds my life. He has made it so that it's going to make me what? Like Him. That means restoring of the image of God in the soul. That's education, you understand. And if I do not interpose a perverse will, that's my problem. So He has to take care of that. But there's something in me that makes a, fi makes a decision. And if we're honest with ourselves and with God, He'll save us because He'll lead us into the circumstances not that we want, but He knows we need. We also learn that God's purpose in creating man, there were two reasons. and There was a, an immediate reason and there was the original ultimate reason. And what was the immediate reason? To repopulate heaven. To repopulate heaven. This earth was created to, that the people from it would take the place of the angels that fell. Now, I don't know how this is going to take place, but without a doubt, this earth will sometime be incorporated into heaven. When you study the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy both, it talks about heaven and earth interchangeably. And it can be a little bit you see, heaven's a big place. 
An astronomer told me one time that he was quite well-versed in the heavenly bodies, that the open place in Orion was big enough for the Earth's orbits to be laid side and side by side a thousand times. Heaven is not a little place. The sanctuary is big enough so when Jesus went from the holy place into the most holy place, he got into a chariot and rode from one place to the other. You know that, don't you? Well, read it in early writings. He wasn't going next door. Because all the angels get in there and there are more angels than our people. All the angels can get into the most holy place because they're the witnesses in the, in the judgment scene. We're not talking about little things. You understand when we're talking about heaven. And the New Jerusalem... At the smallest dimensions, you know, it's 375 miles on a side. Now, I don't think it's that size. I think it's 1,500 miles on a side. You see, I'm a carpenter, and it says it's square. And he measured 12,000 furlongs, which is 1,500 miles. Now, carpenters don't measure around a square. They measure a side. And everybody says it's 375 miles. That's how far around. I think our faith just doesn't get big enough. That means the New Jerusalem is bigger than the United States. See, there's plenty of space up there. Fifteen hundred miles square. Well, it says it's four square, and he measured two thousand twelve thousand furlongs, which is fifteen hundred miles. We know that. So it's either he was measuring around it, but he didn't say, he said he measured it, and it was square. And uh, when you measure a square, you just say it's 10 feet square. You don't say it's 100 feet around it. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean 40 feet around it. Well, anyway, that doesn't make any difference. Now, the other thing I wanted to say, and that is that the ultimate purpose God had in man's creation was that man must have a special relationship with God. And of course, the sin came in and it's taken over. But God is still going to carry out His plan. And I want to read that statement. I, I'm sure you all have it, but I'd like to have this uh, for your... so you know for sure where this reference is because this is one of the most beautiful references I know. 484, a great controversy. Satan in his efforts to deceive and tempt our race had thought to frustrate the divine plan in man's creation. What did he, what did he want to do? It was over the plan that he fell. He didn't like what was happening to man. But Christ asked, now asked that this plan be carried into effect as if man had never fallen. As if what? He asked for His people not only pardon and justification, full and complete, but a share in His glory and a seat upon His throne. Human beings were created to share the throne and the glory of God for all eternity. And you see, that throne is big enough for everybody to have a throne on God's throne in the city. Read it in Great Controversy because that throne is a movable throne and as 
Satan and all of the people who don't make it are outside. That throne majestically rises up above the city, above the walls. They're quite high, probably. And every redeemed person has a seat on that throne. And God is not arbitrary in any way. The glory of God that gives rapture to those on the throne destroys those outside the city. Same glory. Because God's glory destroys what? Sin. And if the glory of God in any way can get through to us today, it's going to destroy sin. And He'll destroy it without destroying us. But if it becomes incorporated in us, then it's going to destroy us too. Several years ago, I read a poem. I don't use poems a lot, but this poem really appealed to me. It was in the Review and Herald. Way back before the turn of the century. I'd like to share this with you in closing. It's entitled, These Are They. They are coming this way, he said, the angel who kept the gate. They enter the city here. Would you see their cohorts? Wait. Within is a great feast spread, and the air with music stirs. For the king himself shall sit this day with the banqueters. The heroes of earth... For these, in their march up the aisles of palm, I would wait. From within came forth the surge of a swelling psalm. At thought of the nearing host, I shrank in awesome dread. Chief captains and mighty men who should pass in martial tread. Then slowly out of the mists up the way, whence I looked to see with glory along their crest and the light on their panoply, the warriors' splendor shod, with whose names, times, annals ring, came a band of pilgrims, worn as from years of journeying. Slowly with halting steps they come. Their unsandaled feet are bruised by the jagged stones, are scorched by the desert heat. Their faces are white and lined with vigil and patient pain. Their forms are beaten and marred by the storm and the hurricane. But the stronger uphold the weak, and their leader upholds the cross. Impatient, I look away down the slopes where the palm, plum, palm plumes toss. Impatient, I turn to him, the angel who keeps the gate. But the heroes, where are they? To whom you bade me wait, for whom you bade me wait. For answer, the gate swings wide, and dawn streams out on the night. And that wayworn band pass through, their garments white as the light. For answer, I hear a voice from the throne resound, while the veiled angels bow. Earth's heroes, these are they. Well... Been nice to be with you folks for this time, so we'll, we'll be starting next week another class. I hope you'll study.
The only thing I expect any of you will ever get out of this class is maybe uh, some incentives. You won't remember anything that you learned, but I hope it'll give you some incentives to study. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.